KD and Kyrie are out of the playoffs. They lose game four to the Celtics at home, 116 to 112. The dream is over. They will not be competing for a championship this year. And the Celtics move on. Most likely, they're going to play the Bucks in the next series. That's going to be amazing. Also, Carlos Alcaraz breaks into the top 10 at just still just the age of 18 years old. He defeats uh, Carano in the Barcelona final where he showed his class, defeating him 6-3, 6-2. Like I said, 18 years old, he's already in the top 10. There's not enough good things could be said about Alcaraz. Rublev defeats Djokovic in his home tournament, defeating him in the Serbian Open. And they went the distance, three sets. He left them in a bagel in the last set. Djokovic still looks like he's trying to recover his stamina and his endurance. Um, we'll see how, how ready he is for the French Open next month. Wimbledon bans Russian players and Belarusian players from its tournament this year. A lot of mixed emotions, a lot of, uh, it's a mixed bag. It's been, uh, you know, there's a lot of people on both sides of, of the ban, and, you know, I just, I'm going to give my thoughts on that. Debo Samuel is rumored to be traded from the 49ers. It seems that he's holding out for a new contract, or he just wants to get moved. We'll talk where he could possibly go, and if the Niners should do everything to keep him, or they should just move on. United look like they're at least three, four years from actually competing for the Premier League. They have Ronaldo, they have their new head coach, and Eric Ten Hag from coming from Ajax. But it still looks like they need a clean house. There, there has to be more like a limpieza. They gotta clean the whole, the whole squad, like top to bottom, for them to actually compete. Because they play Liverpool, they play Arsenal, they have Chelsea next, and it just doesn't look like they could compete on the on the pitch with those bigger teams. And Arsenal, you know, they're turning it around. They're not per se a big team right now, but they still, you know, took it to them, beat them pretty convincingly. But all of that on this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast, let's get started. The Boston Celtics defeat the Nets 116-112 to in Game 4. They did complete the sweep. The Nets are not going to be fighting for the championship. A lot of hype. Kevin Durant, Harden, Kyrie at the beginning of the season. Who's going to stop them? Well, the vaccine kind of you know put a dent on that. The, the the mandates and all that stuff in New York um, just couldn't allow Kyrie to play with them at all. Then he was able to, you know, be a part-time player. Then, obviously, Harden was not really feeling that, was not really liking the setup. He wanted to get out of there. He kind of gave up on the team. Whole drama, whole, whole, you know, one of the storylines of the season was Harden getting traded out of the Nets. And then they get Simmons who, you know, is coming back from an injury, you know, he's dealing with this mental stuff. And, and a lot of people thought, okay, the Nets actually got a pretty good haul for Harden, who just wanted to leave already, who kind of gave up on the team. Nets won that trade. Once Simmons gets back from his injury, you know, gets his mentals right, they're going to be a scary team. They still, you know, barely, like, managed to get into the playoffs. Um, they were the seventh seed, so, like, a lot of people are like, nah, you know, their record doesn't reflect who they really are. Well, you know, they're the only team that didn't win a, a game in the playoffs from all the teams that have made it. They're the only team that got swept. And KD and Kyrie had a really good game one, and they both kind of struggled game two and three. Uh, KD did pretty good today, 39 points, not the best shooting splits. Kyrie Irving, 20 points, struggled again. 
Seth Curry did his thing with 23 points. And it did look like the, the refs, you know, I'm not trying to say that the, they got bought out or like, you know, there's some other stuff going on over there. But it did definitely felt like the whistle was in the Nets' favorite in favor. They were playing at home and it was an elimination game. So I could see why they might feel the pressure to give the Nets the cause. But there was a lot of, you know, ticky-tacky fouls that were called against the Celtics. Jason Tatum got ejected from the game or picked up his sixth foul with like two minutes left in the game. And that foul was like, bro, there's no way you call that in this stage of the game. Like that was that didn't even look like it was a foul on Jason Tatum. It honestly looked like Drogic took out his legs and then Tatum fell backwards because Drogic took his legs from under him. I don't know. It was just there was a lot of calls. There was like some offensive over the back called on Horford on another possession where it was like, okay, like are we really just trying to give the Nets possessions and we're trying to file out the Celtics' best player? Like, it, it just looks sus. Watching it real time, it looked very sus. It's like, all right, are these refs really trying to extend this series? They're trying to make it go back to Boston. And the Celtics, who did have a 50-point lead towards the end of the third quarter, held on strong. There was moments in that fourth quarter where the Nets would go like on a 7-0 run, 8-0 run, cut it to five they cut it to four they even cut it to three they might have even tied it at one point but the Celtics always had an answer the Nets never took the lead and my memory is a little foggy I don't know if they actually tied the game or if they just got it like one one or two points but every time it just got super close I know they never took the lead but every time they, they got close to tying it or to cutting the lead to one or two three points the Celtics would always find a way if they'll find the three push it to two possession game they would find like a little two-pointer three three-pointer to steal the ball tighten on defense and they would push the lead back to like double but back to double digits it felt like for the most part of the fourth quarter it was the nets going on a run and the celtics responding to pushing the lead back to nine or ten points and then there was there was a moment in the fourth quarter where they were just trade, trading threes like back to back i think tatum was on the bench at that point i'm um, just getting his rest and I think uh, I think Curry was getting some threes. Patty Mills was getting some threes. I think Horford got a three. Marcus Smart got a three during those during that run. And that was like really that was really entertaining basketball, just letting it fly. Nets trying to hold on at home, trying to extend the series. It wasn't Kyrie. It wasn't KD and Kyrie at that point in the game. It was the other players keeping them in it. And Tatum was at the in the bench at that point. So it was just uh, you know people were contributing. It was a good game. It was a good moment in the game but like I said the Celtics always look like they had an answer and in the end they're just they're just the deeper they're the deeper um they're the deeper team they're obviously the better roster um and and KD and Kyrie left a lot to be desired in this series and even in this game especially Kyrie he could have been more aggressive I don't know if you know he's tired he when he was a part-time player he was amazing he was always the freshest player on the court once he became a full-time player, he still had amazing games, but he wasn't able to stack them together. He wasn't able to put two, three, four, five games together, and it kind of showed in the playoffs. He had that great game one where the Nets really had a chance to steal home court. He, you know, he flipped off the fans. He had his whole moment at the Garden, and then after that, you know, his game kind of teetered. It looked like they were able to just throw bodies. Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year, definitely was very physical with him. Was able to slow him down. But overall, disappointing season by the Nets. 
with all the speculation, disappointing season for KD, for Kyrie, but especially for KD. He's he's a person that people consider the best player in the world. He surpassed LeBron. I don't think if I don't think he ever did. If we're keeping it 100, I think LeBron was always better. And even to this day, I think LeBron could still impact the game in more ways than Kevin Durant. Might be a little prisoner of the moment. This this is probably one of the worst series Kevin Durant has ever had. I think he shot under 40% for the whole series and he just looked like he got shut down. But, you know, These are the standards that you got to be held to if you want to be the best player in the world, if you want to be considered the best player in the world. And I think we've all seen that LeBron gets held to a way different standard than just about any other player. Um, And Kevin Durant does not get held to that standard. And I think that's evident because he's not the best player in the world. And I don't think he maybe he had like a short glimpse. But even with the Warriors, like there's there were so many stars. There's so many mouths to feed. There were so many things you got to consider that yeah he was shining the brightest probably even brighter than curry at that time but curry's gravity was so impactful to leaving kevin durant do his thing that you you had to take everything that kevin durant did with the green assault like what would lebron be doing if he was if he was kevin durant in the warriors like it would look probably insane even more insane than kd being there Regardless, he still hasn't been able to lead a team to a championship, and it's not going to be this year. The Celtics sweep him. Super excited to see how the Celtics play against the Bucks. Don't want to count out the the Bulls out yet, but you know, I think we could all assume that the champions are going to take care of business. They are up three one right now against the Bulls. They should take care of business, and we should we should see Celtics versus Bucks in the second round. That's going to be electric. Um, I'm gonna hold off on the prediction. I know I haven't really been doing the episodes, but. I'm going to get back to it, and I'll give you guys a prediction. Once it's confirmed that it is the Celtics versus Bucks, because I don't want to, you know, count out the Bulls. We'll see if they're able to go on a run or do something. But overall, for KD, just another year that he, like like Chuck has said, it's easy to be a passenger in the bus. It's easy to be, you know, sitting in the back. It's a whole different story when you're the driver, when you're the one leading the bus, when, when things go bad. You're the one that has to correct it. You're the captain of the ship. It's way different being the captain of the ship than being, you know, in the back of the bus, sitting down, just chilling. And Kevin Durant, as the captain of the ship, has not been able to do it. It's not going to be this year. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know how their chances will improve next year. Like, is it going to improve? Are they going to be able to improve the roster that much better? You got to think that the Warriors next year they're going to be another another year back together. They should be one of the favorites. Hopefully, my Lakers are able to fix whatever mess they have in that roster. Maybe trade Westbrook. They should be better. Maybe AD can stay healthy. LeBron's still, you know, a top five player. The Bucks are still going to be there. The Celtics, you would imagine that Tatum and Brown are just going to keep getting better and better. So it is Luka is going to be there. There's a lot of factors to to consider. Like, is KD ever going to get that chip as the captain of the ship is starting to starting. We're starting to get to those latter years of KD's career and it, it might, it might never happen. And that's crazy. Cause when the Nets got built, when KD and Kyrie got sent, both signed with the Nets, it felt like it was inevitable that they would get a championship, but you know, it, nothing's guaranteed. And now it's looking more bleak than ever. Carlos Alcaraz is the number nine player in the world with these new rankings coming out on Monday he is now, he moves up from 11 to number 9. He's in the top 10 
in the ATP rankings and thoroughly deserved, man. He's had a great start to the 2022 season. Um, we're like a quarter, a quarter of the, a third of the way through the season, basically. We got the second major coming up in the French Open at Roland Garros. And he should be one of the favorites to win it. It would it would be crazy if at 18, I think he should be 19 at that point. If at 19 years old, Carlos Alcaraz wins the French Open. But it is definitely on the table. He has been amazing. He has been great. And he showed it again in his home country, in Barcelona, defeating a fellow Spaniard, Pablo Carreño, 6-3, 6-2. And... You know, Carreño, he he looked like he was, obviously he was disappointed that he lost. But I think anyone could appreciate, anyone that likes tennis and is a fan of tennis can appreciate, like, the pure potential and already, like, man-made that he is right now at 18 years old. And as a fellow uh, Spaniard, I think Carreño, he he took it in class. He, He looked like he was happy for the kid. And Carreño, who's had a rough start to the 2022 season, I think he could take he could take this run that he had in Barcelona and be happy with the results. Defeating Schwartzman in the semifinals, getting to the finals. Um yeah, he kinda got outclassed by Alcaraz in the final six three, six two. But compared to the results that he was getting to start the twenty twenty two season, I think overall Paulo Carreño could be really happy about his performance in Barcelona and hopefully this, you know, springboards him into you know, continuing to have a, a turnaround in his twenty twenty two season. Well, as far as Carlos Alcaraz, man, this guy's ridiculous. Every time I watch him play, it's just like, damn, this guy's a monster. I was surprised that he lost so early at Monte Carlo. And maybe it was fatigue. He had just uh, gone to the final of of the... Or he had gone to the semifinals of Indian Wells. And then he won the Miami Open. So he had been playing a lot of tennis he had he was coming from a real high of winning the Miami um the Miami Open so it was like you know it could have been just fatigue it could have been you know someone caught him on a low at the beginning of Monte Carlo's but people were already kind of starting to jump ship cuz he was like the third favorite of French Open behind Djokovic and Nadal like that was like a lot of betting people's pick Carlos Alcaraz so for him to lose in the early rounds of Monte Carlo, it was like, okay, like, should we pump the brakes on Carlos Alcaraz? There's a lot of people are like, damn, you guys were getting him way overhyped. Like, yeah, he's, he has he has had a good um, start to the season, but, like, hold your horses. Like, nothing's guaranteed in this world. There was a lot of people jumping off ship. I saw it on Twitter. I'm on tennis Twitter, so I noticed, like, this stuff. And I was, I was surprised that he lost so early, especially because, you know, he was one of my picks to make it far in that tournament. But, you know, he bounced back. Like, this kid has a lot of character. And he showed it in the Barcelona Open, just playing some great tennis, displaying that super powerful um, forehand, those drop shots. Every time I watch Carlos Alcaraz play, I'm like, damn, I need to develop my drop shots because they are so silky and they're so they're so sick when Carlos Alcaraz does it. When when he's getting in a forehand battle, backhand battle, long rally, you know, everyone's on their toes. Everyone's on the baseline just trying to keep up with each other's rally. And Carlos Zacharias just hits a beautiful drop shot. And you're just like, wow, well, he disguised this so well. And he just ended that long-ass rally with this beautiful drop shot. There's so much to like about Carlos Zacharias. He, he looks like such a humble kid. He looks like he has his head on straight. 
and I'm just happy for him. Top 10 already, still 18 years old, number nine. Um, Zverev said that he could see Carlos Alcaraz breaking into the top 10 by 2024. Way off, dude. 2022, he's already top 10. And if he wins French Open and just continues to have a great 2022, there's no reason he can't push for top three by the end of the season. Number one's uh, like that. I wouldn't put I wouldn't put it past him. I don't want to put those huge expectations on him, but he's definitely having that great of a season where you could just be like, dude, the sky's the limit for this guy. Like he might just win the French Open and you know go far in Wimbledon and go far in the U.S. Open and just keep climbing those rankings. But overall, Barcelona Open was a great tournament. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, there's a lot of people that hate on the clay season. It's it's not real tennis, you know. It's long rallies. Clay season has been a, has been a great. I've had a great time watching the start of the clay season. Super pumped up for French Open, uh, Madrid Open. is coming up next, uh, April twenty sixth. Starts tomorrow actually. Qualifiers start tomorrow, and then the main draw starts on Monday. Super pumped up for that. That's another great clay clay tournament. So the clay swing, it's it's in full stride at this point. Carlos Alcaraz wins the Barcelona Open after a semi-letdown at Monte Carlo. Bounces back. He's now the number nine player. The sky's the limit. What do you guys think? Can he win French Open? It's Nadal, if he comes back, obviously Djokovic is struggling with form. We'll talk about him right now. But I think Carlos Alcaraz should be considered one of the favorites for the French Open. And we'll see how he does in the Madrid Open. And, you know, that should really tell us more of if he could potentially win the French Open. But overall, you know, got to give it up for Carlos Alcaraz. Great performance in Barcelona, winning in his home country, cracking the top 10, still 18 years old. The sky's the limit for this kid. I'm super happy for him. Rublev defeats Djokovic in his home country in the final of the Serbia Open. 6-2, 7-6, 6-0. Leaves him in a bagel in the last set, just completely seemed to wear out Djokovic at the end. Congratulations to Rublev. He's had a pretty good season so far. He's won, I believe this is his second or third title. And after, you know, flaming out of the Miami Open the way he did, losing to Kyrgios, I thought, you know, he might, his season might teeter a little bit. He might lose his mentals a little bit. He's obviously, you know, back in form. Clay season's doing him good. Defeating Djokovic in his home country, showing showing up, Playing with class, great stuff by Rublev. Six two seven 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 six six zero. Like the fact that he bageled Djokovic. I don't care if Djokovic is not in his best form. Obviously, it doesn't look like Djokovic is in the best shape of his life. Um, it looks like he's still recovering. Um, he did mention that a recent illness is likely behind recovery taking longer than it usually does. It could be also age. Obviously, Djokovic is. The 34 years old, approaching 35, aged with illness. It's never a good mix. But that doesn't take anything away from Rublev defeating Djokovic, having a great tournament, winning another 250. It's always hard. It's, it's Obviously, 250s are not the hardest tournaments to win, but when Djokovic is playing in the draw and it's in Serbia, obviously Djokovic is going to have extra motivation to win it. Obviously, Djokovic hasn't had the best season, you know, he hasn't been able to play in many tournaments, and he's been getting upset more than usual. He's losing. He, he He's not, you know, he doesn't have the best record. I think Djokovic really wanted to win this, to not really kickstart his 2022 season, 
win it for his home fans, win it in his home country after being deported, being detained in Australia, <laughs> being, uh, you know, he probably thinks he's being treated unfairly in other countries. He's not getting the benefit of the doubt. You got other countries, government, you know, conspiring against him. That's probably what he's been thinking. Now he's at home, home country, home soil, in front of home fans. You know, I'm pretty sure Djokovic really wanted this, even if it's just a 250 event. He's lobbying to make the Serbian Open a 500 event next year. We'll see how that goes. So I'm saying, like, this, don't, I don't want to take anything away from Rublev. I know a lot of people are putting excuses for Djokovic. He's not fit. He hasn't been playing. He's out of rhythm. He's coming back from an illness. Yeah, but he's still, you know, he still made the final. And Rublev still bageled him in the last set. So congratulations to Rublev. Rublev, honestly, I'm a fan of Rublev. I've said this numerous times. I saw him at the San Diego Open. He was the highest seed at the San Diego Open. He was ranked number five at that point. I believe he's number eight right now. He was ranked number five at that point. Highest seed seeded player in the San Diego Open. And he was like the most class act, just humblest player there. He stayed the longest to sign stuff. He 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 was the most available for media. He was just the friendliest guy there. He seems like he, he's a great guy. So I'm always going to root for Rublev. I was able to see him up close and personal at Indian Wells again. So I'm excited for Rublev. I'm happy for him. And, you know, I, I hope he has a great season. And it does it does sadden me that Rublev won't be able to play in the Wimbledon, which should transition me to my next topic. Um, just to wrap this one up, congratulations to Rublev. Djokovic, I think he overall good tournament. He, he was finally able to go deep into a tournament. You know, I'm I'm sure his his stamina and his endurance and all that stuff is going to get better the more he plays. Um, there's nothing just like you know game time, game experience. And I do believe by the time the French Open happens, by the time the French Open is here, I think Djokovic should be close to 100, and he should definitely put a strong bid to defend to repeat repeat at Roland Garros. And I'm super excited to see that Rublev should be there too. He should be, you know, obviously, I think he had a quote recently where he was like, yeah, like there's only like seven players that are ranked higher than me. Obviously, I should be the favorite in most matches. Obviously, matchups and um, surfaces change that. It's not so black and white as just your ranking. But I I like the confidence that he has. And I think he's going to continue to have a great 2022 season. But moving on to Wimbledon. It has come out that Wimbledon will ban players from Russia and Belarus from competing in this year's uh, major. And it's uh, honestly, it's it's a little unfortunate. It's I get I get why they're doing it, but man, it just it does seem a little unfair, especially because like this is an individual sport. Sometimes I don't understand why they put the flags next to every team. Like they have these tournaments. Like the ATP Cup, and they have like, what's the other one called? Basically, like their World Cup. They have these tournaments every year where they actually compete as a country. So I think that's when you should maybe ban if you want to do those bans, like ban Russia from, um, you know, the ATP Cup and all that other stuff where you actually compete as a country and you have like Spain versus, um, you know, whatever Serbia or whatever. I know Canada just won the ATP Cup. Like ban them from those, but Wimbledon and all that stuff, it just it just feels like attaching the country to that player sometimes is like it's too much. Like they're just, they're literally just competing as 
as themselves, as their own individual players. They got coaches from different parts of the world. Like their player box is filled with different personalities and coaches and and friends from all over the place. So I could see, I mean, I could see why they're doing it, but it also seems a little unfair and it seems like not everyone's getting treated the same. I know maybe the Western side of the world gets the benefit of the doubt because, you know, the U.S. has definitely done some stuff that's not, you know, looked upon so good. Like, like the U.S., should U.S. players have been banned and kicked out from previous Wimbledon's and previous majors like if you if you were to look at it just black and white then yes so now to do that to Russia and you know Rublev Medvedev they spoken out against the war too like I think Rublev was the first one to do it um in Dubai I believe Dubai opened earlier this year after a win he um it's customary for players to write on the camera that's like, you know, recording them when they're doing their post-game speech. He walked up to them and wrote, no war, please. And it was like a great moment. And then other players followed through and they kind of commented something similar. But I do remember uh, I do remember my boy Rublev being the first one to do it. And like I said, Rublev, man, he's a great guy. Like I, I personally met him in the San Diego Open. I've seen him. He's he's I've seen interviews of him. I've seen those videos on tennis TV, on YouTube. He just looks like the humblest, like down to earth tennis player, and just because he's from Russia, like and Russia's doing these atrocity atrocities in Ukraine, and obviously, like it doesn't seem like the players are behind it and they don't support it at all. And, but they got to be careful with what they say because you know they don't want to have repercussions from the Russian government if they like speak super bad about him. You know they got families still living at home. Not everyone's like moved out of the country. Not everyone has the the luxury of you know traveling all over the world and not being necessarily in Russia. So they know like they can't just fully condemn Russia because they might face repercussions. They might put their family in danger, and we don't want that to happen either. But they have spoken out about it, so it's you know it's, I feel bad for them. Uh, you know, I think Djokovic had a good quote saying like you know he was a child of. War Two, which was in Serbia, you know, Serbia went through it too, and is you know, sports is supposed to be an outlet, it's supposed to be something that keeps us away from thinking of that. But like I said, I do understand why they would want to maybe ban players from Russia just to send a message, maybe try to get something done. I don't know, uh, but it does seem a little like not everyone's being treated freely. Like the U.S. has definitely been like. You know, it's been its fair share of bad stuff. Let's just put it back, like, to keep it simple. The U.S. has definitely done its bad stuff, too. So, like, should U.S. players have been banned before? I don't know. Where do you draw the line? Who decides, like, what's, like, really bad and what's not really bad? I don't know. It's just, I honestly, I just feel for, I'm a fan of Rublev. That's probably why it's bothering me so much. Like, I'm a fan of Rublev. I would have liked to seen him compete in Wimbledon. But now there's a lot of speculation. Like ATP seems to not agree with what Wimbledon is doing, and like the whole tennis system doesn't have like one governing body, so it's confusing to get like not everyone's on the same page, and it's showing up again right now because Wimbledon is banning Russian players, but ATP, the one that like, like that's the system that we use, that's how we give ranking points. 
they don't seem to be agreeing with Wimbledon. So now they're kind of threatening to take the points away from Wimbledon, which would basically make Wimbledon just a just just a amateur. Like it would just it would just be something for fun. Like it would, just to keep a status. Like Wimbledon will obviously always have status, but if the players are not getting rewarded for playing there, and they won't get the two thousand plus points that you usually get for winning or for yeah for winning a major like then what's the point it just becomes like a big pickup game we'll see how it plays out i could definitely see wimbledon you know retracting this like just getting so much backlash and um that they like just let them play kind of like how russia was able to play in the olympics as like you know republic sporting republic of russia sporting or something like that whatever they played at in the winter olympics or or the Summer Olympics too, where they work committee, the Russian committee of sports or something like that. They might just do something like that for Wimbledon. I could see that happening. Just all right, you can't represent, you can't play representing Russia or Belarus. You gotta be like some committee or something. I don't know. It just I don't have the solution. I don't. I don't see. I, I'm curious to see how it plays out. Like I said, ATP does not seem to agree with Wimbledon. Wimbledon seems to have made up their mind. It's gonna. I don't know. I hope to see my boy Rublev in Wimbledon. That w- that would be fun. I like I like Rublev. That's pretty much who I'm fighting for. I'm sticking my neck for. Now, Kachanov, he's cool. Medvedev, he's a personality. Obviously, he's the number two player in the world. It'd be great to have him there too. There's other Russians that and Belarusian players that you know we would be happy to see at Wimbledon. But I think the thing that just probably has ticked me off a little bit is that my boy Rublev, who I know is a great person, is not going to be able to play. He spoke out against the war. He's still getting punished. Like, whatever. It is what it is. Will Debo Samuel get traded away from the 49ers? Great, great wide receiver. Um, it seems crazy that, like, he would get moved after his breakout season. 1,400 receiving yards. I think, like, 600 rushing yards. He damn near had 2K. He might have had 2K all-purpose yards. He's awaiting a big contract. He probably saw the explosion of wide receiver contracts. He saw what Christian Kirk got with the Jaguars. He saw what, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is already getting paid. What Tyreek Hill got paid. What Devontae Adams got paid. And he's like, bro, I need to get me some of that money. Like, And he, it, it was also reported that he he just wants to be like a full-time wide receiver. He's not really with... with uh, with that running stuff, like he he seems himself as just a out and out wide receiver, which I could see. You know, it's, it's like, bro, I'm just the number one. Like, like just give me my routes and just treat me like a wide receiver. But you know, he did take he he's done what a lot of new new professional players are doing. You know, they take to social media, they take any pictures that are associated with the team, any tags, they take them all down. And they just go like neutral, and that's that's kind of what set off people saying like, "Oh damn, is he gonna? Is he does he does he want out of the of the 49ers? And it's like that was the first domino that fell, and then it came out that yeah, he kind of he does want to leave the 49ers. And there's videos like on Twitter and like on the internet about you know him reacting to some some like some signs about him coming back to SF, and he's kind of basically saying like, "Nope, I'm not coming back." But like, what could they realistically get back? And should should they do it? Like, it's it's. I'm reading articles and it's saying that they want two first rounders 
for Debo Samuel, which would be great for them because they did just give out three first rounders for Trey Lance. So they basically, you know, be getting them back. And it seems like Trey Lance is kind of struggling to get his footing in the NFL from the games that we saw last year. And just the fact that no one's really come out and said, like, yeah, he's a quarterback for next year. But there hasn't been reports saying, like, oh, man, they're super stoked about having him as their quarterback. And, like, they're not going to look anywhere else to bring in, like, you know, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. There was rumors that they wanted him. Obviously, those are two all-time greats, so you you wouldn't necessarily pass up on them. Even though they did kind of pass up on Brady when he left the Patriots. Regardless of the point, no one's really super stoked about Trey Lance. Obviously, he has a bunch of potential and he might turn out to be the real deal. But, you know, you could argue that they got to keep Debo Samuel so that their investment with Trey Lance pays off. Like, you don't give up three first-round picks for Trey Lance and you don't try to give as many weapons as you can have. You got to, you know, you got to keep Debo a uke. You got to have Kittle. You got to, you know, give him a running game. You got to just try to surround him with as much talent as he can so he has the best chance of succeeding and making those three first-round picks worth it. But you might other you might also look at it from the other side of the coin, like, damn, we did kind of give up a lot for him. Like, what if he doesn't pan out? Even with Debo Samuel, like, we just lost out three first-round picks. That's going to set us back for a while. This team is kind of ready to win right now. If we flip Debo for two first-round picks, and then maybe we could get a veteran quarterback next offseason, it seems like quarterbacks are moving more than ever. Get two first-round picks. Maybe keep Garoppolo this year. Or give Trey Lance a year to play, prove himself. If it doesn't work out, you know, we can use those two first-round picks next year. Try to get a disgruntled veteran quarterback somewhere. You know, find next year's Matthew Stafford and try to work out a deal. Like, there's a lot of different angles you can take from this. Also, is the wide receiver market exploding is is any wide receiver worth 30 million dollars a year like it, it feels like that number is just going to keep going higher and higher the 49ers also got to consider that and you know bosa's contract is coming up there's a lot of factors there's too many factors man but just the fact that Debo samuel had that amazing amazing season and now he's it seems like he has one foot out the door that's crazy that's that's the nfl that we live in and uh, obviously, this this offseason has been crazy. I think even Debo tweeted, like, what the hell is going on? And now he's adding to it. So it's just like, this offseason has been ridiculous. It's We are now in draft week. Uh, I think the draft is this, is this week. So I'm very pumped up about that. We'll see how and what surprises happen. Um, the closer we get to draft day, the, most, the more likely... You know, some trade is going to happen, so you got to keep your eyes open for a Debo Samuel. You got to, you know, turn on those notifications to all, the, all those NFL insiders. What do you guys think? Is he going to go somewhere? Is They're saying Debo. I'm hearing Debo to, like, the Packers. How insane would Debo to the Packers be? Or even the Bengals. Like, how insane would the Bengals be if they had Debo? Like, that would just be ridiculous. Like, there's so many teams that could potentially trade for him, and it would just completely change the landscape of the division the the conference that they're in like it would just make that team so much better especially because now in the nfl it seems like you just need to have a lot of weapons like go three four deep at wide receiver have an explosive tight end have two or three running backs that could do a lot of stuff have a solid offensive line that's how it feels that the nfl is going with you know the Bengals having like a great stable of wide receivers 
with the Buccaneers having, you know, they were like three, four deep at one point. It seems like everyone's just trying to stack stack the table. So there's definitely going to be a market for Debo. Um, the only thing you got to stomach is, like, once you get Debo, you're going to have to, you know, make him one of the highest paid wide receivers in the NFL. It does seem like he deserves it. He's he's had his breakout year. He's only 26 years old. So he should be, you know, still has a lot left in the tank. But we'll see where he goes. If he goes to the Packers, man, that would be insane. That means I don't think they'll trade him to the Packers, though. I think they'll trade him, like, to the other conference. So if you're in the AFC, you know, he might end up, he might just end up on the Jets and regret it for the rest of his career. But we'll see how it goes. Like I said, this is one of the craziest, this is definitely the craziest offseason ever. And it just keeps getting crazier. And the draft is this week, so it might get even crazier. So just be on the lookout for crazy stuff happening. Hopefully, you know, I'm all for it. I'm super excited. Two first round picks for Debo. 30 million a year when you get them. I know someone's going to bite and I'm going to be here to cover it. But super excited to see what happens. Wish Debo the best. Just crazy time we, the NFL is in right now. But what has happened to Manchester United, man? Manchester United was one storied franchise. They had Sir Alex Ferguson. Everything was good. They were the most expensive club in the world. And now since Sir Alex Ferguson has left, they just have not been the same. They are sixth place right now in the Premier League. 34 games played, 54 points. Arsenal have one game in hand, and they're six points ahead of them with four games left in the season. So pretty much they're not going to play Champions League. It, it just seems like they're not. Arsenal have, like, they could push it to nine-point lead with four games left because they do have that game in hand. They just beat Manchester United, and United seems to, like, they're not in good form. They've lost three out of the last four games in the Premier League, and Bruno Fernandes has had a terrible season. Maguire finally got benched, got left out of the game against Arsenal. You know, Ronaldo's going through it. I feel sorry for Ronaldo and, you know, him losing his, his child at birth. That's, that, that's probably the worst feeling ever, and for him to, you know, show up, Took a few days off, but he showed up and he scored a goal against Arsenal, dedicated to his son. That was a beautiful moment. Like I said, I feel bad for Ronaldo. I can't even imagine what's going on with his family and like inside his head, inside his heart. So just want to, you know, my condolences to Ronaldo. But back to United, like this team is just in the gutter. They have, like I said, they have not been a relevant team since, since Sir Alex left. They've had like a couple moments where they got second like a distant second and they've had some moments with Mourinho but this team just looks like it's lost dude like there's no the team building was just done like randomly they just try they just try to buy some players and hope that they would work together Bruno Fernandez terrible season Maguire being the most expensive defender ever 80 million for that guy is just absurd Pogba hasn't done anything he's regressed he was stagnant for a little bit and now he's regressed and now it, he seems like he's gone after the season. There's there's just so many things wrong with this club. And, yeah, they have a new coach now. Um, the AX head coach, uh, Eric Tehag, should be, you know, the head coach next season. And he's done great things with Ajax. So he might be able to turn around. But, you know, we're looking, like, at a three-year project over here for Manchester United. For them to realistically be back with the Liverpools, with the Manchester Cities competing year in and year out for the title. 
Like it's it lo- it's looking bleak, man. It's looking bleak, and it's looking like you know if they don't get it right this next time, like like Ronaldo, they're saying he's gonna stay next year, but I could realistically see him going somewhere else. Like Ronaldo should always be in Champions League competing for titles. He shouldn't be in like the worst Manchester United team of all time, carrying them to a sixth place. Like this is it's ridiculous how far they've fallen, and like dude, we're on the presses of of them doing like what liverpool did before Klopp got there and going like 30 years without winning it sir alex left what 2012 they're already on 10 years since the last time they won the the premier league like bro like it's starting like they're starting to run out of they're starting to run out of uh 2014 was the last year or 2013 was the last Year Manchester United won the Premier League, so we're we're damn near at ten years. We're at nine years since they won it. How many years did Liverpool do? Like thirty, thirty before they won it. And like, dude, they tried Mourinho. They've tried like, they've tried a home homegrown, um, like coach. They've tried like from they've tried from Germany. Like, they've tried uh, Moyes, like hand picked by Sir Alex. If, Bangal, I think, was there too. <laughs> They've definitely like done like a lot of different projects with a lot of like high status coaches, new coaches, like coaches that influence other great coaches. Like, there's so many different avenues that they've taken, and it just seems like none of them have been the right choice. The ownership doesn't seem to really care. They're making money. They have other investments. I believe they own the Buccaneers too. So. It's like, are they really that invested into Manchester United? Do they even care about the history of the team and like what Manchester United mean in the Premier League and in European soccer and just like soccer in general, football in general? Like, do they even care about like what Manchester United means to the soccer community, the soccer world? Like, United should always be in the top places fighting for a championship. Same as Liverpool when they were like in the gutter and not winning anything. Like, it just doesn't feel right. I think that's one of the problems with Italian soccer, too. They're kind of bouncing back as of late, but when Inter and AC were not there, like, when they were not competing for the titles, it did feel a little weird. It's like, bro, like, these are the historic teams in the league. Why are they not there? It does feel a little weird now that United is, like like I said, in the gutter. And it's it's getting to the point where it's not even surprising that they're not competing for the championship. Like, you're... Like, you were hopeful. I was one of those people that was hopeful this season. I thought it was going to be a four-team race. City, Liverpool, Chelsea, United. Chelsea did some signings, too. You know, they got Lukaku back. They had United got Varane, Ronaldo, Sancho. Like, this was supposed to be the year that they actually competed. And look at them. They're like, they got Ronaldo back, too. And they're sixth. It's just like, they take one or two steps forward, and they take like six or seven back. It's crazy. And they've been doing that for nine years. Mourinho won them like their last trophy. And they fired him. And, you know, they thought they were going to take steps forwards after leaving him. And they haven't done anything since Mourinho. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's it, it just all the different coaches that they tried, different players that have been cycled through there. It just seems like the problem is at the root. Like, they need to just clean house and start all over and really look at themselves. Like, what are they doing wrong? Like, 
do the glaciers i believe that's who's who's the ownership do they got to sell like the team do they got to get someone that actually cares about the team because you know it seems like the like the fans are kind of over them too there's been a lot of protests there's there's been walkouts there's been like fans entering the the stadium like at a latter time i think they did that against the arsenal game they were already down they were already down 1-0 when the fans started arriving to the stadium. Like, it's crazy. It's just United's in the gutter. They got humbled by Liverpool. Like, humbled. Like, they did not... Ronaldo wasn't there. 4-0. Like, thank you very much. Could have been way worse. United looked dead since the beginning. They got humbled by Arsenal. They played Chelsea next. It's just... It's it's sad, dude. United used to be a respected, a respected club. And now it's just... It's like the butt of jokes now. Maguire is like the easily the butt, the biggest butt of all the jokes right now. There's a lot of funny videos on Instagram and TikTok, but it's just crazy how far Manchester United have fallen. And I hope I hope they turn it around. Not because I'm a Manchester United fan, but just I'm a fan of the league, and it's always good when you know a historic team like United is good. But if they don't, if they don't turn it around, if they keep spending money, like just carelessly just 80 million on Maguire just for no reason then you know I'll also be part of the jokes like I would not like I don't mind if they don't turn it around it is it's shocking to me that they had they've gone this long and they struggled this hard since Sir Alex retired but dude I'm a jokester too dude I'll, I'll clown I'll clown on them too like it's funny it is funny every time Maguire messes up and you're like dude these fools really dropped 80 million euros on this who they made him the most expensive defender of all time and then you see like i don't know united for your sake and for united fans who are you know very loyal fans i hope you guys turn it around but that should do it for this episode of the hard to handle sports podcast like always if you made it to the end i really appreciate you thank you so much for the support i know i've been lagging on the episodes but we're gonna turn it around someday Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day.